Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. Our guest today is Paul Rosalie, and he has one of those lives, you guys, that is so cool. I'm so excited to talk with him. He has been an explorer in some of the wildest, most untamed places, jungles, the Amazon, a variety of different places he's going to talk about today. Um, He's a tremendous writer. He's got a brand new book out that we're going to talk about, um, and I know that you're going to enjoy hearing from him. So, Welcome to Go Green Radio, Paul. So glad to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, congratulations on your new book. It's called The Girl and the Tiger. And actually, I was telling your publicist earlier this week, I just got my hands on the book and pulled an almost all-nighter to finish it. You're an excellent writer. So um, oh, you, congratulations. You, you, read the whole, you actually read it already? Yes, yes. Wow, that's so exciting. It's, it's so cool. After so much time of writing and everything, this week is like... You send your baby out into the world and you get to see whatever he thinks. It's amazing. <laughs> well, and, and here's the thing, Paul. I will tell you this. My undergraduate degree is in English. And so I'm a bit of a snob when it comes to, you know, I don't just trust a New York Times bestseller list. So yeah. your writing was awesome. I mean, I, I and I'm, I consider you. myself kind of a, a, a connoisseur of good writing. And it was fantastic. And I, we're going to talk about the book in a minute. But your experience in the Amazon and in various jungles around the world is, is really vast. And as we start to talk about things yeah. like what's going on in the Amazon, why is it burning? Because I want to get your perspective on that. I want to start by setting up for our listeners, your expertise. So just talk to us about some of the jungles that you've explored over the last 10 years. Sure. So, yeah, I actually have been working to protect rainforests primarily in South America and in India. Um, So I work in the Western Amazon and in South India. And my goal is to protect as much habitat as possible because when you're The biggest problems that we're facing today are like climate change. We have massive, massive biodiversity loss. Everyone's always talking about climate change and water resources and how this affects humans, but we've lost 50% of the wildlife on our planet since 1970. Wow. That is a terrifying statistic. There are half as many animals in the world as there were just a few decades ago. And so that is my life's mission is to fight that because... A, animals have their own inherent right to live and their own reasons for being alive that are just non-human, but also they create the ecosystems that keep us alive. It is just so important that on so many levels. So to me, protecting wildlife and biodiversity is what I'm on this planet to do. And so in the Amazon, there's more life than anywhere else. So we're trying to protect as much as we can of the old, complex, ancient rainforest. And so we have, I have a ranger team through the organization I work with called Jungle Keepers, and we go down and... We employ the local people to patrol their own forest, and in India, we're trying to make tiger reserves, but I've just, you know, in between doing the protection and the wildlife work, um, in order to be a writer, I have to get as deep and as intimate and as, as, as far into these jungles as I can, both for, for myself, to, to, because I enjoy it, because I love being in the wilderness and I love having wildlife encounters, but also if you're going to write about and talk about sort of these deep jungle relationships between plants and animals and, and how it relates to us, you have to experience it. And you have to kind of get yourself covered in the mud. So for the last, 
for the last, really, my entire adult life has been spent in the jungles. Um, I've worked with giant anacondas. I've been nearly killed by elephants. In writing this book, I actually got to feel what it's like to have a tiger's tooth scrape across my bone mm. and rip all kinds of tendons out of my finger. I've, I've, had, I've, had some, I've had some close calls, but the jungle is by far the most beautiful place, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. That is so cool. That is really cool. And I, I do want to give you a chance to let everybody know where they can see. I got the chance to see your website so I could see some of the film clips and I could see some of your on-camera work. It's just paulrosalie.com, right? Yep, paulrosalie.com. And uh, my Instagram is just at paulrosalie and I share everything there, uh, the most up-to-the-date stuff. And, uh, yeah, I try and try and keep everybody involved. And I mean, my mission really is to try and connect people to conservation. Cause like you mentioned with the Amazon fires, like what we've seen is that people are so people actually really, really care. It's just that I think a lot of people struggle to make that connection of like, you know, how can I help, right. you know, whatever the right. given cause is. Exactly. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there's a crisis for everything. There's a war on everything. We've had a war on poverty since the 60s. I mean, you know, the words crisis and war on fill in the blank. I mean, they've got people so overwhelmed with where to focus yeah. that, that this is, you know, this is tough sometimes. But, you know, a lot of our listeners, Paul, are our students. We have a whole bunch of college students that listen to Go Green Radio, and they're just at the beginning of their adult life figuring out what their mission is going to be. And I would love for you to talk to, to them specifically about where your interest in the rainforest and in the jungle and biodiversity all began. Give us a little background there. Uh, um, well, I don't, I don't know how much help I can be in that, in that because really as soon as I could walk, and I'm talking like two <laughs> and three years old, I was just drawn to animals. I've always loved animals. They're just in my blood. And, you know, I'd, I'd sort of just force my parents to take me out into, into the woods on the weekends and stuff. And, you know, nature versus nurture, I think it, it was mm. my nature, but they, they nurtured it. <laughs> um, uh-huh. So it was both. Um, but and how I, I did that parlay really... into a career? I mean, like, I think, you know, uh-huh. there's a lot of people that, I mean, grow, I, I grew up, like, I had this flashcard set with, like, all these animals, and every month I'd get a new set of them, and I'd file them away, and I loved animals, but I did not end up in the Amazon. So how, what was your path? <laughs> um, it, well, it's funny, actually. Um, I'm, so I'm severely, I'm, I'm very dyslexic, um, like, actually dyslexic. Uh-huh. Everyone says, oh, I'm dyslexic. I'm actually dyslexic. But um, I didn't do well at all in school. I was always in trouble. I never got good grades. <laughs> and, um, you know, also going to the Bronx Zoo and reading stuff by Jane Goodall. I just grew up actually very stressed out that, um, that the world was going to be, you know, all the beautiful stuff, all the wild animals and all the beautiful jungles were going to be gone before I got a chance to see them. Mm-hmm. So I actually dropped out of high school after my sophomore year, took my GED, um, and now I try. Now I'm like the the the, the like the young youth liberation front. I'm like, guys, <laughs> if you want to get out into the world, just take your GED. Don't spend two more years sitting in high school. Like, if you're ready to get out there, just go do it. Um, it's a two hour test, and you get you, you get to go to college after. Um, you can skip. You can you can accelerate your life by two years. So I did that, and I went to college. I started working as a lifeguard to save up money to live my dream. Of wow. going to the Amazon and, and, and really that was it. And, and that's, you know, once I got down there, you, I started working with the people. I made some relationships. I found where I could be needed. And, and that is probably where I can most effectively answer your question, which, cause at this point, when I did, when I give talks, um, 
and go on like this book tour all over the country. I have a lot of kids asking me like, how do I, how do I do mm-hmm. what I want to do? Even if it's not, you know, that, that they want to do what I do, it's, it's how do they follow their dreams? And now yeah. I have a lot of people asking me that cause they know that I did it. And I tell them just, just, just go out there. Like I had a kid yeah. who was, who was, who was really into the idea of being like a shark scientist. And he was like, you know, the thing is, he's like, I'm a photographer and I'm studying this. He goes, but, you know, it's so hard to break. I said, look, I said, go to the place that inspires you the most. Find the people that are doing the work that you want to do. And I was like, go follow them around. I was like, go carry their, their, their dive tanks for them. Go, you know, <laughs> ask them questions. Go help them. And sooner or later, someone's going to hand you something and go, here, kid, help out. Or there's going to be, some, you know, a shark, an emergency yes. on the beach and they're going to need you. You're going to, you know, you can make, you have to, you have to control your own narrative. I mean, you have to, and that goes for so many things. Yeah, no, I mean, I I really, I think that people, um, oh, what is that quote that Jim, Jim Carrey says? It's something about practicality disguised as something. No, but people, people play it too safe. I think, I think that when you're talking about, you know, whether you want to be a scientist or or a teacher or you want to be a a photographer, whatever it is, it's like, you really got to get outside. We're very tempted to just like flip our phone and Google, like, how do I do this? It's like, no, 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 no. Well, you also touch on the relationships that it takes, you know, you know, get, get with the people who are in your space and, and learn from them as well. You know, you said that you're dyslexic and yet, what a great writer you are. And you've written some really high-profile articles and books, and you've made films about the Amazon. Paul, when you see the Amazon burning, what goes through your mind? Oh, very, very bad things. Um, yeah. It's, it's horrible to see because you see these thousand-year-old trees burning and all. I mean, a single tree in the Amazon can have you know, thousands and thousands of species of just ants. And then you factor in the birds, mammals, reptiles, all the little things that are crawling around on these trees and the, the vines. It's so complex. So each tree as it burns is an entire world. It's like an entire mm-hmm. zoo burning. Um, and, and but again, people are like, oh, the Amazon's burning. Yeah, and inside of that is millions and millions of animals. And so when I've been down there, I've seen, you know, groups of spider monkeys running through the canopy to get away from the fires you see dead animals on the mm. ground. Baby birds that go up in their nests. Like, it's just absolute devastation. It's so, so horrible. Um, and the thing is, we'll never get it back. You know, people, people are like, oh, well, can we go plant trees? It's like, hey, you can plant yeah. a tree, but, like, your great-grandkids might see it. Like, you know, it's like, it's yeah. just, we're never going to get those ancient trees back. And they, they, they store more carbon and support more biodiversity. So these are actually irreplaceable things that we're losing. Mm-hmm. On a human and, time scale, It's kind of like when people talk about the melting ice in Alaska, for instance. You know, sure. what people may not realize is that even if we get a hard freeze this winter, the water that melted out of those glaciers and off those yeah. ice packs and went into the ocean aren't going to come back. You know, yeah. and and replace you know what was lost on on the landscape. You know, when those old old ice packs are lost um, and drip into the ocean, um, they go away forever. You know, yeah. they're going to go somewhere else. And um, similarly with you know all of the life forms that are in the Amazon, um, that we're we're changing it forever, forever. I mean, I think that's what's yeah. just so devastating. Yeah, no, it's really, and, and the, one of the best things I ever heard was this, the idea that in conservation, the victories are all temporary, but the losses are final. 
Oh boy, and that that's a tough so place to take a commercial break. But I want everybody to think about that while we go on a quick commercial <laughs> break because that is the point. That is the point. This isn't just a oops, we messed up and we'll fix it later. This is really that serious. So we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have so much more with Paul, so don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Tolvanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Tolvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. And if you're just tuning in, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Paul Rosalie, and he has a brand new book out called The Girl and the Tiger, and it is phenomenal. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But Paul has been out in the Amazon, out in the jungles of South America, India, and other places uh, for the last 10 years. And he has a very special and unique um, perspective on what's going on. Um, you know, a lot of us have seen the news that the Amazon is burning. We have a vague sense of why that's happening. But Paul, I, I'd really like for you to share with us, you know, what is happening there? Why would anyone burn the Amazon rainforest? Help us understand what's going on down there. Well, what's going on down there is the same thing that's happening all across the world. Um, first of all, in North America, we cut down 95% of the forest that used to cover our continent. Like we, we, we're just humans cut down forests. That's what we do. So in the Amazon, each dry season, they're cutting the rainforest and then they let it, once it's down, they let it bake in the sun for a few weeks and then they set fire to it. And what this does is completely annihilate the entire ecosystem. 
end release like everything out into the into the air, and then they basically just let it turn into cow cow pasture or soy fields. And so they're turning this complex, ancient carbon storage, you know, treasure into cow pasture, into something that's basically going to give them, you know, cheap beef. But the thing is, it's allowing local people to make a living off of beef. So if you trace it back, that's why a lot of people are saying, stop eating beef that's sourced from the Amazon. Because that, you know, if you take out that market, these people won't keep burning the forest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now in Indonesia, which is actually also on fire this week, but it's, you know, it's crazy because it's so hard to get these things in the news. Yeah. And in the Amazon, we see burning like this every year. I stand in the burning fields every year. I try to rescue animals. I mean, and no one, no one cares. This year, the smoke blew over Sao Paulo and people posted this like apocalyptic looking eclipse. And then everyone got scared and the news took it and it just went internationally viral but that doesn't usually happen. Usually what's happened, like right now is like a normal day. There's fires in the Amazon. I have my, my team down there sending me videos. It's all burning, but no one, wow. you know, the news has already dropped it. And so I'm posting, I just posted about it today and I'm trying to get the word out. Indonesia is burning right now. And Indonesia, on the other hand, it's not small scale slash and burn farmers. Indonesia, it's giant corporations that come in and they clear like a thousand acres. Wow. Of old rainforest. This is orangutan habitat, tiger elephant, rhino habitat in Sumatra and stuff. They level the rainforest and then they put palm oil, which is like, you know, goes into like Nutella and like Oreos. Uh-huh. Like, there's no, there's no reason for this. And again, once yeah. again, it's so easy to stop this because if people made it clear to these companies that we're not going to buy products that support the destruction of wild habitat, well, they would stop it overnight if we hit their wallets. But this is just, it's just, I think we struggle with the connection between, you know, how we're, again, how we're involved in these issues. Like, it's just so, it's such devastation that we're seeing um, that I I almost, I almost am tripping over my words because it's like the enormity of it is just mind blowing. Yeah, well, you're not tripping over your words at all. I mean, this is coming through crystal clear, and and it's so important for people to realize the impact that we make with things we put in our cart at our local grocery store. The impact, you know, on the other side of the world is literal devastation, uh, you know, and and yeah. you know, it's it's all human impact. Um, you know, switching to the the animal encounters, because you mentioned some of the animals that you've come in contact with. I mean, you have had some pretty cool encounters with animals that, like, honestly, I've never seen any kind of footage like this, um, you know, as you can find on paulrosalie.com, your, your website. I'd love for you to spend just a, a few minutes talking to us about two or three of your favorite stories about animal encounters. You gave us a couple teasers out there, you know, last segment. So talk to us in a little bit more detail about that. Oh, man. I mean, well, because I live in the jungle every day, I have awesome animal encounters. And sometimes it's just, you know, a lot of times it's just, you know, you see a snake on the trail and just pick it up, say hi, and then you let it go. Or, (laughs) you know, sometimes, sometimes I've had just amazing encounters with harp eagles. But of course, it's those big legendary things that you see. And of course, in the Amazon, there's there's anacondas, which I, I got myself, um, I've gotten myself in some pretty precarious situations <laughs> with anacondas. Yes, and you the have. Thing is, <laughs> oh, yes, I have. <laughs> and the thing is, like every other snake, if you leave them alone, they'll leave you alone. But um, with me and the local guys, we've, we've, we've been studying them for years because we feel like the gold miners are depleting the anaconda population. So... Oh, I've been I've been wrapped up by an anaconda that was 
about as thick as my waist. And I came real close to getting crushed. Actually, my shoulders were almost touching when my, when all my friends showed up and, and they, they unwrapped wow. me. So I've, I've come close wow. with the anaconda. Um, I've just had a brilliant, brilliant encounters with, with wild elephants, um, both, both peaceful and wild. You see, the thing is, the peaceful stories don't get people excited. It's like I've had so many afternoons where I just have sat with a notebook and watched elephants, and they were eating, and I was just kind of sitting there drawing and doing notes. But I've, you know, everyone's like, yeah, cool, that's great. But what they want to hear about is the time that I got chased by an angry bull and almost got crushed by him, and, and he was he was crashing apart trees and I had to like jump off this cliff. I actually just, just put that up on my Instagram the other day. There's a I picture of my that. face just covered in blood um, mm-hmm. because when I was running away from this elephant, I had to like run through bushes and thorn bushes and stuff. And I just was so cut up after this. And it was probably the closest I ever came to truly dying because of, because of a wild animal. Um, oh, wow. And, and you, no, you mean, mentioned tiger tooth on your bone. Um, don't just leave us hanging, Paul. Give us the deets. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that story, it's better to leave people hanging because it sounds more more badass than it is. It's actually, <laughs> I was I was with like a very young tiger. I think he was I think he was only a few months old, um, and we were playing. Which, but the thing is, a few month old tiger is still the size of like you're at like a like a pretty good sized dog. Yeah. Um, and their, their teeth are, are beyond sharp. And this was in a captive situation. This wasn't in the wild, of course. But um, the tiger decided to, uh, to grab my finger and bite straight through it. And, oh. yeah, the tooth just went skittering across my bone and ripped out a bunch of tendons and stuff. And it was, it was just incredible. Um, it's amazing how good they are at harvesting meat. They're just so, <laughs> they're so, <laughs> they are so good at cutting right through us. And, and when you're next to a big one and their paws are the size of dinner plates and, you know, they have these, just these saber fangs coming out of their head, you just go, oh, my God. For this tiger to kill me would be like me stepping on a banana. It just, there's just no contest. Like, <laughs> you've also worked with some of the indigenous people who live in the places that you've been. And I'd, I'd love for you to talk to us about some of your encounters with, with those folks. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's been a 13 year encounter. Um, we when I went down there, I met I met this local guy named JJ. His, his name is Juan Julio Duran. We call him JJ. Um, but yeah, they they once we became friends, you know, the thing is they they know everything about the forest. They know if you have an eye infection, they have a tree sap for that. If you if you have a broken leg, there's a sap for that too. They have, they can literally fix you with just about anything. And these are not like holistic medicines that you need to believe in. These are harsh. Western medical chemical compounds that will fix you. And the amazing thing is that they know where this is located in the ecosystem. And uh, when I went down there, they were teaching me tracking and, and all this different stuff and about the birds and the mammals and everything. The one thing that they didn't know so much about was snakes. And I, I, I've grown up studying snakes. So uh, we sort of, we sort of swapped on that. And then they mm-hmm. thought it was, you know, they called me gringo loco. They were like, why does gringo loco want to jump on anacondas? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they thought that, that, you know, this made no sense to them. And so, but they were excited to learn. And I, I was trying to convert them from killing snakes to loving snakes, which, which was a very successful effort. Um, and along That's the so way, cool. I got invited on a bunch of hunting trips and we would go out barefoot in like open top canoes for weeks at a time and, and just learn from the forest and see how they survive. And, and then eventually we started... Um, Tamandua Expeditions is my ecotourism company, and I work with all my local friends, and we bring people from all over the world. We've had, 
you know, special forces groups. We have university study abroads come down to the Amazon. We have tourists from, from all over the place. And for the local guys, it's great because, like, a lot of them used to be loggers or gold miners or whatever. And now they're like boat drivers, guides, chefs. They have so much more fun. Their job is safer. They get paid more. They get to meet people from all over the world. And they get to share the heritage of their jungle. They get to just take people out and go, you know, look at these giant, beautiful ancient trees. Look at these monkeys. This is what we have here. They show people how to catch piranha. Um, it's, it's really actually like a beautiful thing. In this case, you know, I've heard examples of where ecotourism can like damage a local, local population, but um, in our case, it's worked out really, really well, and we employ so many people. And oh, that just, is they're really just, they're cool. They just taught me so much. Yeah, it's been wonderful. They've they've become family. Well, and besides uh, ecotourism, I know that you go down and do conservation work as well. But like, what does that entail? What types of tasks are you doing to help protect the land and the ecosystems? Well, it's funny because the ecotourism actually is a huge force for that because. For example, last year I went with uh, a friend of mine who's a National Geographic photographer and we went to these gold miners and we wanted to get like, you know, front of the line pictures of gold mining in the Amazon and we had the, the Peruvian Marines had come in and they were trying, they were fighting the gold miners and we went up to the gold miners and we're like, guys, you know, I was like, I said, like, I bring tourists to the jungle. I said, some of the jungle you have here that you're about to destroy is absolutely beautiful. And these gold miners said, said the craziest thing. They said, I know. They said, isn't it beautiful? And they, they were also appreciating this forest with me. Yeah. And I said, I said, you know, what would you think if I brought tourists here and you took your gold mining equipment and, and put it away for a while? Yeah. What, what, if we, what if we protected this forest? And I said, think of how much more you could make in the long run than if you just cut yeah. this down and have to go somewhere else. Then you're going to have to fight the military again over there. And they were like, hey, man, that's a pretty good idea. Yeah. <laughs> and, sounds good to us. And it worked. And so now we're doing it. And and at the end of December, um, I'm I'm bringing a group of people that signed up to take part in a conservation trip. And we're going to go have an Amazon experience for the travelers. But for the gold miners, they're going to try their hand at hosting guests. And and now they're like totally conservationists. They're like, oh, this is so much cooler. They're trying to build like things like little beds and hammock areas. And they're trying to protect all the forests. They're like sending me pictures of mon- monkeys they're saving. I'm like, it's oh, amazing how quick the transformation awesome. was. Th- that um, is amazing. Really, you know, and it's something yeah. that, I mean, they know that it's a treasure. They know that they're yeah. living in, in a special place. But, but they I mean, got to feed their family. You have to feed your family. Yeah. yeah. You have to feed your family. Absolutely. And if you can only do it with gold mining, well, you know, what are you going to do? You're kind of trapped. Exactly. So, so, so I'm, I'm trying to do, you know, as much as I can to do stuff like that because we've, we see how well it works and it changes people's lives and it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then I the love other that, side, That is so cool. <laughs> and we've got to take a quick commercial break, but we're going to talk so much more with you about this amazing work that you're doing. And we're also going to talk about your book, I promise. Um, so don't go away, <laughs> okay. folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? 
Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could tune in. Our guest today is Paul Rosalie, and he has a brand new book out called The The Girl and the Tiger, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. But there was one question I really wanted to ask you, because I saw some of the clips of this and some of the information about it on your website, paulrosalie.com. In 2013, you received an award for one of your short films, and you got to speak at the United Nations Global Forum on Forests. And I would love for you to just um, share some of the message that you delivered that day with our listeners today. Oh, just that I think that well, I should set up that what, the thing that the thing that sent me there was that what I did was I put a, just a few camera traps in the jungle in this one spot. I think I had two camera traps, and it's a spot called the clay lick, and it's a salt it's a salt deposit. So all the mammals come there, and they want to eat the, the salt rich clay. And then so mm-hmm. because all the mammals come, well then all the predators come. So you get like jaguars, deer, tapir, everything goes there. I left my cameras out for about oh about I think I think about a month. And then I checked them, and there was so much wildlife because it was in deep jungle. Um, there, was, there was so much wildlife. And, of course, at the end, the cameras recorded the fact that this jaguar came right by where I was standing just moments after I was standing there, which I never would have known if it wasn't on, on film. Wow. But there was so much, so much wildlife that it was so stunning that it kind of went viral. And then it got shared all over the world, and people said, oh, this is such a amazing glimpse into what there is when you really go out into the deep, deep jungle where there's no people and it's just, just wildlife. And I was really just trying to, trying to talk when I was in Istanbul at the UN, I was trying to just talk about how important it is for us to protect wildlife. Like I said earlier, we've lost 50% of the wildlife on our planet since 1970. And it's just, it's such a crucial time where, you know, we depend on these animals and they, they, you know, they have a right to live and, 
you know, it's, I, I want to say it's also not, it's not all doom and gloom. Like, you know, for, for so many years, I think humpback whales were about 130,000 before whaling times. And they went down to just 8,000 mm-hmm. at their lowest before people said, we have to stop this. We're going to lose them completely. Can you imagine losing humpback whales? We almost yeah. did it. Ugh. But today, because of everyone except for Japan has stopped whaling, we're back up to like 80,000. Like humpback whales are back. We're good. Mm-hmm. They're not going anywhere. We're safe. And it's like, that's such an important story to me because you see that nature will bounce back. You just got to give it a chance. Right. You just got exactly. to give it, you, don't, you really just have to do nothing and it'll keep being nature. It'll keep being fine. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And I love your optimism because, you know, in order to get people's attention, you, sometimes you really do have to paint the doom and gloom picture. But at the yeah. end of every story like that, you know, there needs to come this moment where we say, but we can, <laughs> and then fill in the blank, what we can do, um, you know, and like, I'm a mom, I have three kids, so I can't possibly give up in my work. I have DNA in the game. Um, I am sick <laughs> to think that my children or my grandchildren, God forbid, if I should ever have any, that's that was a ping at my kids who might be listening. Um, someday I'd love that. And, um, you know, that they wouldn't be able to see some of the wildlife that I have been able to see, um, even yeah. just in going to China and seeing, you know, some of the, the species there that are so different than in North America. Um, But actually, let's get to your book because The Girl and the Tiger is amazing. And some of the themes that you have interwoven into that story, it's a a fictional story, um, but you've really done a great job of bringing some important themes into that book. And I'd love for you to talk to us about some of the most important themes that you hope your readers will take away from the book. Well, I... This is my best attempt at bringing people into the life of a modern-day tiger. I wanted to sort of do like what Jack London did with The Call of the Wild, where you're, you're inside the animal's mind. And I think uh, another one was Cormac McCarthy did it beautifully in The Crossing. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, that was a way to take people through the reality of a South Indian jungle, where you have tigers and elephants trying to survive in forest areas that are extremely fragmented. And... For me, my, like my first book was nonfiction, and you know people love nonfiction, and, and they're very excited to learn about people's work, but there's something about a, a real story mm-hmm. to take people on a journey where they're really immersed with these characters, and I thought that you know, so much of the things that I experienced that are, that are in this book are, are actually my experiences that I really just wrote down, but tying them together into a story of this type, I thought that maybe you know, would might be a more effective way for people to sort of truly on, on like a heart level, on an emotional level, sort of understand this story and, and, and be brought into that world. And it's also sort of my answer to Jungle Book, because when I was a kid, I never could understand why they made the tiger the bad guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, they, they say, write the book you always wanted to read. Well, I never understood why Kipling made uh, the tiger the bad guy. And I also, I love books that have female heroes. I love movies yes. that have them, like Kill Bill. Um, personally, as a reader, as a, as a, as a consumer of, of stories, I I love a good female hero. And I think that with this story, it just seems so appropriate, especially given everything that's happening in modern times that, you know, my Mowgli would be, be a, be a girl. Yeah, and Isha is the girl that, that's the uh-huh. heroine in the story, and she's so brave, and and I I 
could not put the book down. I was like just so into it. And I know that a lot of other much more highly revered and VIP folks like Jane Goodall felt the same way when they read your book. I mean, she gave it great reviews as well. But, you know, the journey that she um, encounters, you know, as she is trying to save um, her new friend um, really shines a light on the way that land use is changing and wildlife and, and people who live in the places where nature and the built environment meet in India, what's going on there. Can you give us a few snippets of, of what you've seen and, you know, what the reality of, of modern India is right now? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because India is a paradox. And on, on the one hand, you go, oh my God, there's 1.3 billion people. There's no hope. You see so many examples of forests being destroyed, of new roads and dam projects. And you're just like, it's all, it's all so, you know, it's kind of like the, I, it's kind of like the ghost of climate future. You see like where the forest mm-hmm. is gone. They're not getting as much rain. And some of the, some of the farmers, like, well, some of them, hundreds of millions of farmers mm-hmm. don't have the, the precipitation to irrigate their crops. And it's like, it's just such a, such a battlefield. And the elephants are fighting the farmers because the farmers are cutting into the forests and, and the elephants are actually like, you know, stealing crops and, and you, they, they trumpet. You hear, you hear this happening at night and the farmers throw fire at them. And there's literally mm-hmm. a war going on between humans and wildlife. But I call India a paradox because despite all of that, they manage to have more tigers and more elephants than any country on earth because there are so many incredibly committed conservationists and scientists and citizen activists in India who are working day and night to protect their forests, protect their rivers, protect their animals, and who very, very, very acutely understand that, you know, when a new dam goes up, what happens? A few guys get very rich, the construction companies, the politicians, the the corporations, they get rich, and then everybody downstream gets poor. Mm-hmm. And in India, we've seen that so many times, where a company comes in and they'll, we had, I think it was a Pepsi factory came in and polluted this one river so badly that the goats couldn't drink it. Mm-hmm. And downriver, you know, a few thousand people now no longer had fish, no longer had water, no longer had could take care of their crops, and and people were getting you know cancer. It was like such a disaster. So we've seen that so many times, and so like at this point, I think in India, maybe they've they've been hit so many times they know how to duck, and so they're <laughs> starting to they they know they're starting to really when these when these proposals come up, they're starting to have thousands of people that say no, we're not going to let this happen. And, you know, for example, in, in Kerala, which is a South Indian state along the coast, they said, well, no, we're not going to let big international trawlers come and ruin our ocean eco- ecosystems because then we'll have no fish to fish. They said, like, what happened? And that's exactly what right. happened in Africa. They said, what we're going to do is we're going to keep doing our local way of fishing because that's sustainable. And we'd rather have long-term sustainable fish than, you know, make, have, let, let some other people get a few years of, of incredible hauls. And... I mean, that's, that's pretty encouraging. Yeah, but it is. If you're a modern-day tiger, there's only 3,000 of you left. Mm-hmm. You know, in 1900, there was maybe 100,000 tigers out there, but there's only three, three to 4,000 tigers left right now across 11 Ugh. countries. It's hard that's, to even conceptualize how few that is. Yeah, it really is. And it's... it's how they even find each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I know that, so, you know... It, it's sometimes hard for people to hear about poaching, but that's okay. We're going to talk about it anyway, because I know that you have seen it up close. And I think it's really important for people to understand that it's not just the loss of habitat that is impacting this majestic and beautiful 
uh, wildlife that that we treasure. I mean, people have it on you know their clothing, little icons of tigers and elephants, yeah. and they we love them. But yeah. but there is a lot. They're, they are facing multiple threats, and poaching is a big one. I'd love for you to talk to us about what you've seen, Paul. Oh, I mean, people, you know, the threats to a tiger, and that's what I, you know, in The Girl and the Tiger, this is what I try and bring people through. So, as you know, you, you start out with this, with this tigress who's trying to find a place to live. And, mm-hmm. you know, she's moving through towns and villages and farms. And, you know, this is, a, this is like a 500-pound striped orange cat that A, needs to eat a lot, but B, if she gets seen, she's going to get killed. So she has to be invisible. And so mm-hmm. during the daytime, they'll, they'll go down in the bushes and try and hide. And at night, they'll go out and they'll poach a goat. Because, you know, usually they'd be eating deer and they'd be in the forest and they'd be the kings. But in the modern world, they're trying to move through these landscapes and just, just try to survive. And they really don't mm-hmm. make sense there anymore. And they're, they're really kind of like refugees. Now, that's in South India, thankfully, because it's, it's pretty far from the Chinese border. There's not a lot of poaching in South India, but which is where I work and where the story mm-hmm. takes place. But up in the border, in Assam, in like Kaziranga National Park, there is just horrible poaching because uh, the people are under the assumption that tiger bones in Chinese medicine, and I know tiger mm-hmm. penis as well, they believe mm-hmm. has some sort of medicinal value. And of course, it's been tested again and again, and it has no, no absolutely no medicinal value except for maybe a placebo effect because you believe in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but but they are decimating tigers. They're decimating tigers and they're decimating African elephants because the price of elephant ivory is so much higher than gold. The price of tiger bones, forget it all together, is so incredibly expensive. And for a poacher to go out, that's, that's a lot of motivation to go out. And if you can trap yeah. a tiger or shoot a tiger, you, you can make you know, a few years of, of wages just, just in one shot. Wow. So these tigers, not only have they lost all their habitat, not only have we hunted all of their food already, but then we're also setting snares for them, trying to poison them. We have hunters out after them. We have dogs out so that like, wherever a tiger goes, they're going to get barked at. So it's just the fact that there's any tigers on earth at all is so incredible. Yeah. Oh, that's so much duress for a species. And now it's, you know, it's multiple species, as we know, you know, from the stories of African poaching, you know, the rhinos, the elephants and tigers. I mean, that's so much duress for these animals to bear. They weren't they weren't meant for that. You know, they weren't meant for that no. kind of duress. You know, nature can be cruel. They hunt each other and everything. But these these stressors, you know, I, I just, oh, it makes me so sad. It makes me so sad that this is the situation. Yeah, yeah. And so but, uh, I, I feel yeah, like I should, I should tell you the, that this story, um, that the thing that really set this off, though, was the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm sort of weaving back and forth between the book and, and, and the field experiences I've had in South India. But um, so tigers really do move like this at the edges of villages. And the thing that kicked off this book was that a, a, I guess a student of mine, a, a young friend of mine named, named Isha actually sent me an email a few years ago and she said and I still have the email and said I have a question about a tigress and she was determined to go save these two tiger cubs that had been abandoned in a village and that was what sort of sparked the idea for the whole book and that's why I named the main character Isha 
That is so yes. awesome, Paul. I love it. The Girl and the Tiger. <laughs> you guys got to check it out. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have much more with Paul. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us today and really thrilled to have the guest that we have today, Paul Rosalie. You can check out his website at Paul Rosalie. That's R-O-S-O-L-I-E, paulrosalie.com. And, and his new book, The Girl and the Tiger, is, is an instant classic. And I'm going to encourage... Uh, all of our teachers who listen in, all educators, uh, even if you're informal educators with an environmental education uh, nonprofit or something, please get your hands on this book, The Girl and the Tiger. This is going to be something that I feel like it's going to be used in classrooms for a long time. This is the modern day jungle book. It's it's amazing. It's really, really good. And Paul, I was checking out your social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram and whatnot. And I learned that you are doing something really cool with the first, I believe it's 10,000 copies of your book sold because everybody, it's just, it just came out this week. So it's very brand new. Um, and I'd love for you to talk to us about the project that our listeners can be supporting when they go out and buy your book, The Girl and the Tiger. Absolutely. Well, the, like I said, the, everything in this book is based off of really my experiences in South India. Most of the characters, even though it's a fictional book, I've met most of the characters in this book. Um, and so, you know, when, for someone who comes away reading this book, they're going to say, they're going to understand really 
so much of what's going on in South India, and they really would basically have, have, have walked with me through so much of what we're trying to do. So for each one of the books sold, um, myself and Owl Hollow Press, who's the publisher, we're going to donate a dollar towards making really like a, a, wet, a rest stop for these tigers as, as they leave protected areas, or maybe they've never been in a protected area, but we're going we're gonna to come up with as many acres as we can and make sure that there's deer and forest and streams where, where tigers and elephants can, can rest. We're going to try and make uh-huh. it in, in, in their crucial migration routes. And I think that that's what I try to do with all of my work, with my writing, with my film work, with ecotourism, even with social media. I just want to connect people to the issues because I feel like people care. They care deeply and people tell me that they care and they write to me to tell me that. And so if I'm going to tell a story like this, uh, which I truly believe is the story that the animals would want me to tell, um, you know, to give them a voice, I think that it'd be really cool to let readers have a chance to, to actually take part in that, you know, in the I real world. I love that. I love that. And I know because you do such a fantastic job of updating, you know, what you're doing, you know, on your social media that we would all get to see that happen. So I really want to encourage my listeners to get out there and get your copy or copies because it would make a great gift um, for anybody who loves wildlife and is, you know, into these beautiful animals and beautiful landscapes to get out there and get the girl and the tiger. You know, Paul, I know it's not cheap. It's not easy to do the work that you do. How can we help you? I mean, I feel certain that once my listeners get a hold of your book or even just check out your website, paulrosalie.com, they're going to be like, what can I do? I love this. How can I help? So tell us how we can do that. Oh, I mean, helping me. Yeah. I mean, this getting books out there. I'm not, I'm not such a big famous author yet that, uh, you know, that that's like a slam dunk. Like it, it really takes a lot of help. Like you said, like if, you, if people can get, get books as, as gifts, you know, spread the word on social media, leave a review on Goodreads, that stuff helps so, so much. And really, you know, the more people you can reach, you never know. You know, I've had then, then once you reach lots of people, amazing things happen. Like with, the, with my first book, Mother of God, you know, it reached so many people that, you know, I said that my dream was to create jungle keepers and protect, you know, all these acres in the Amazon and all these ancient trees. And that book reached the people who had the resources and the know-how to come down and make that a reality. And today, Jungle Keepers protects 30,000 acres in the Amazon. Wow. And, you know, when the Amazon fires happened, everyone was going, how do we help? And we, we, got, we got enough donations in like two days of media coverage to protect 3,000 acres in the Amazon. Just from people donating like the price of a cup of coffee. People were just like, I don't know, I can't afford much, but here's what I can afford. And they would just give us like a few dollars and we put that directly into habitat protection. It goes straight into the habitat protection in the Amazon. And so it's like that. It's just like, you know, the, the more people are talking about these things and the more we're, we're working together. I mean, I, you know, I'm telling the story so that people know what's going on. So people, I mean, the, the girl and the tiger, they can take it as, as a, as a journey that you read and you walk away. But I mean, the thing is, this is a very true story that's in this novel. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm using my, my writing, my social media, my ecotourism company. I'm using everything I do. I'm trying to protect habitat. And so, you know, come, come along for the journey because so many people have, so many people that have come to the Amazon with me or come to India with me have, you know, sort of 
come back or lent their skills in different ways. I mean, it's it's a collaboration. You're never going to go anywhere by yourself. I'm just I'm just the organizer. I'm just the guy that loves the animals <laughs> and loves the jungle, and I just I just want everyone to to be there with me. And you know, I don't want to have to be a conservationist. To be honest with you, I would love to just go on adventures all the time and have fun. <laughs> um, yep. I'd love to put myself out of business. To be honest with you. <laughs> That's funny. That's good. I, you know, I, I know that people will want to help in that way, but what are some things that we might be able to do in the next week, in the next month, maybe in, you know, changing a little bit about our purchasing or, you know, what we what we oh, do yeah. as consumers? Give us two or three things that we can enact in our lives in the short term to really make an impact on saving the rainforests. Well, I think that there's a few there's a few things, and one of them is voting with your wallet. You know, there's certain products mm-hmm. that we know are destroying rainforest, and or, uh, one my favorite is uh, Rainforest Alliance has has yeah. a campaign called Follow the Frog, where they tell you which products are definitely not hurting the rainforest. Yeah, and I think that that's a really really responsible thing where they're saying, look, you're safe here. You're safe. That's the, the best thing you could do is let people know where they're safe. And the other thing is that you know, making noise about products that aren't safe. There's um. There's a lot of work being done with Indonesia and the rainforest there um, to combat these corporations. If we, if we don't pay them, they can't be a corporation. So we have, you know, we, we actually can decide what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, that's, so that's one. That's a big one. And the next thing is that we've we got to stop electing leaders that don't have good environmental policy. Mm-hmm. Or they don't understand biology and science at all. You know, like we, we're, we, we find these politicians who are just politicians and that's what they do. They don't necessarily have any understanding of, of how tied to the, to the world we are. You know, like these guys are allowing, you know, dam projects and, and things that destroy our salmon rivers. And it's just, it's just we, we got to stop. We are the people that are putting these people in office. We got to stop doing that. That's so true. And you know what, Paul, I wish that we, I I could talk to you all day and I wish we could. (laughs) And I'm so sad that our, the episode is coming to a close, but I want to thank you. And I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. You can learn more at paulrosalie.com. Thank you all. We're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.